Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. I don't know if you've seen, but there was an article back in, I believe it was February, and the news article talked about a cab driver that found $187,000 in cash in the back of his cab. And he's from Boston, and this cab driver dropped off a homeless man at a hotel. And this homeless man had just finished living in a homeless shelter for the past six months when he inherited this incredible amount of money. And yes, you heard me correctly, a homeless man inherited nearly $200,000. It was then that Raymond, the 72-year-old cab driver, with more than 50 years of experience on the job, noticed the forgotten bag in the back of his uh, cab. And he opened it up to find a name, and he found the stacks of 50 and $100 bills inside. And he worried the man might be dangerous, so he decided to bring that cash to a local police station. Only the money was not ill-gotten. Instead, the money was that homeless man's and that he accidentally forgot it in the cab. And after the homeless man located his money, he offered the cab driver $100 for his honesty. But then the cab driver offered a salient comment for our day. He felt the man should have given him more money as a reward. The cab driver felt he should have received even more. After all, his $100 reward was just pennies on the dollar compared to what he actually found. I want you to bookmark this story in your mind as we're going to come back to it in just a little bit. But today I want to talk to you about how you can develop kindness. Mark Twain said, Kindness is a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Many think it only takes willpower to be kind. No, it takes a supernatural power to be kind. You need to have that supernatural power to overcome the rude and insensitive feelings that well up inside of all of us. So this morning, we kind of have a sermon within a sermon, as we have been in lessons that have been learned from the past. But this morning, and for the next several weeks, we're going to focus on how we find that to be um, applied to having harmony within our homes. So make note of that. And this morning... We're going to talk about one of these nine virtues, and these are the real signs that the Spirit is within all of us, and that life with the fruit of the Spirit, the life of the the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law, as mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. But kindness stands in the middle of this ancient list of these nine virtues, and we're going to dive into that a little bit today. So, 
I want to motivate all of us to be kind. Kindness is a display of love. It's really a demonstration of love. So I want you to see kindness through the window of this life of King David as we dive in the Old Testament because this is one of the most moving and one of the most beautiful stories in the Old Testament. So if you'll turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verses 1 through 13. It says this, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul? that I may show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar, and Mahibosheth. There's a name you don't hear very often, right? Mahibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mahibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. For the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, All that belong to Saul... And to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mehibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mehibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mehibosheth's servants. So Mehibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now... He was lame in both his feet. I want you to think of your Bibles as if it were a DVD or a Blu-ray disc for a moment. Okay? Your Bible is a DVD or a Blu-ray disc. When you put that DVD 
or Blu-ray into the player and the menu pops up. And on that menu, you can see play, look at bonus features, or you always have that option, scene selection. This morning, we are hitting the scene selection button on this story with David and Mahibosheth. This is not only a scene that really moves the plot of the Bible along, and there are no battles, there are no fighting giants, no miracles, and no world-changing events. And yet, it was one of the most memorable and powerful scenes in the Bible. So it's kind of a forgotten scene for many people now. And now there are four characters you need to know in order to fully appreciate this story. We have David, we have Saul, we have Jonathan, and Mahibosheth. David had been possibly the king of Israel at this point in time for 20 plus years. And to appreciate the depth of that story, you need to understand something of the animosity that takes place between Saul and David. So, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson this morning. So, those of you who don't like history, turn the channel. We have to understand something of the depth of the great friendship between Saul's son, Jonathan, and David. See, the importance of David is that David lives approximately a thousand years before Jesus, or about 3,000 years ago. Now, there's more information about David than any other figure in the Old Testament. Whenever you read the Gospels, Jesus is seldom called the son of Moses or the son of Abraham. Instead, Jesus is called over and over again the son of David. When David was at his best, we see a glimpse of the heart of Jesus, who is our one true king. And David finds unique favor in God's eyes, even as he is the greatest king of Israel. But more than anything else, you need to remember God makes a promise to David that finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. God makes a promise to David. And Jesus is the long-awaited king of all. Our second character in today's story is Saul. And Saul was Israel's first king. But God had rejected him for his lack of godly character. And by the time of our story, Saul is dead, having been killed in an epic battle. And this was years before. God had instructed the prophet Samuel to anoint the young David while Saul was still on the throne. Now, the jealousy of Saul was hotly inflamed whenever David's name was mentioned. He hated David so much that even the mention of his name drove Saul into a rage. And Saul's jealousy was stroked and stoked when he overheard the popular song in Israel of the day. 
And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. We find this back in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18. But there are stories of David who is known as the sweet singer of Israel and playing his harp to soothe King Saul's fits of rage. Yet Saul takes a spear and flings it at the young David. And sometime later, Saul chases David for years in an effort to kill him. To escape the vengeful Saul, David has to leave the nation of Israel and join with the enemies of Israel in order to save his life from Saul. So there's a great deal of animosity between these two that was built up in the relationship of David and Saul. But if the animosity between the father and David were the black knight of our story, the friendship between Saul's son and David served as the stars. The points of light in the night sky offering us hope. And Jonathan fought in battle together. And again, for you to fully appreciate the incredible kindness being shown here, you need to understand something of the backstory between Jonathan and David. So if you turn back a few chapters, like I said, to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18, this is the story. It's, and you don't have to turn there, but we're looking at 18 verses 1 through 5. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. You see, their friendship blossomed despite Jonathan's father's extreme jealousy of David. And the course of their friendship is really during the same time frame as Saul's murderous threats against David's life. So you can kind of see a timeline here. And if you don't follow me, that's okay. You can go back and look. Or luckily we have the sermon online. Go watch it there again. But either way, this is kind of giving us a picture of what the kind of relationship these, these individuals had in our story here today. But all through the relationship between the two men, Jonathan is caught on the horns of a dilemma here. And that dilemma is should he side with his dad Saul or who everyone could see was in the wrong? He was in the wrong, but that was his dad. That was his father. So what was he supposed to do? Should he side with his friend David? How would that look? What would people say about his relationship to his father? But notice the Bible says that Jonathan made a covenant with David. Did we see that? He made a covenant with David. So he sided with his friend. Do you know when Jonathan stripped himself of that robe and sword, he was giving up his throne. 
Remember, Jonathan was supposed to be the king. He was the king's son and the heir to the throne. And the friendship of Jonathan and David happened even though Jonathan would have been naturally next in line to be the king. And Jonathan and David did not have an ordinary friendship as we would define a friendship. You see, because they made a covenant. They made a promise to one another. And this would play a role later on. The last of our four characters you need to focus on this morning is Mephibosheth. And he was the son of Jonathan and the grandson of Saul. And interesting, this was very, very interesting to me even when I was going through this the first time. But you see, it was important to understand where Mephibosheth uh, lied here. You understood that he was handicapped. He did not have the luxuries that you and I have, like walking and, and doing things uh, normally as a human being. He was handicapped. And a generation ago, many would have called him crippled. But either way, he was unable to perform the task of many normal people. And Jonathan, the son, son of Saul, had a son who was crippled. In his feet. So you can understand now the connection between the two. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mehibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. So Mehibosheth was only five years old when his father died. And the nurse did not know anything about the covenant between David and himself. And so, simply fearing the boy would be put to death by this vengeful kind of king. And yes, he lost the ability to walk. Because everyone knew that the new king would eliminate any potential rivals from the former king's family. So there was an issue here that people were taking. They were like, oh no. He's going to go after him. He's going to kill him. He's handicapped. We need to protect him. But they didn't understand that there was already a covenant between the two. There was a friendship there. So that's where we come into the importance of kindness. And now I'll actually dive into the sermon a little bit. But why is kindness important? Like I said, Mark Twain said, Kindness is a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. So we are looking at David's incredible kindness for just a moment. David learned about Mehibosheth's existence and found him in the town called Lodabar. Lodabar sorry. The name Lodabar is significant for it literally means no pasture. It's a know-nothing place. I don't know about some of you, but I know some of you have grown up in a know-nothing place where there was just land for as far as the eyes can see. But this, this is what it was referring to. So here was a man who was the grandson to the first king of Israel, and he had lost everything. And if he were to ask his nurse, why are we out here in the middle of nowhere? She would say, because of your enemy, King David. And if David were to ever find you, he's going to kill you. 
If he were to ask his nurse, why am I crippled? She would reply, you're crippled because of King David. You are fleeing from David when the accident happened. And you better hope that David never catches you. You better hope that David never finds out where you are. So here, Mehibosheth is basically eating dust, drinking dust, and living in poverty when he gets a call from David. Not a cell phone, obviously. So we're able to kind of capture the scene here just a little bit. Mehibosheth knows that his cover is blown as soon as the king's entourage comes out in the front. There are the king's horses, the king's guards, and everything inside of him is on high alert when the king arrives. It's the equivalent of DEFCON 1, if you want reference. In terms of the U.S. military's readiness, he says, Oh no, they've found me. They've found me. And so they throw open the door. And they say, Mahibosheth. And he says, yes. And he hesitantly replies and he says, come, David wants you. And so they pick him up and they drag him along. And they put him in the carriage. They carry him there to the royal palace. And so he comes there to the palace before the very throne of David where he falls on his face. Can you see him there? And he's quivering trembling like a bird in a trap. And he's saying in his heart, David, go ahead. Let the axe fall on my head. Do it. I've been told that you hate me. I've been told that you want to kill me. But he's not prepared what David says next. So we find out the importance of kindness, but we also know about the scarcity of kindness. Don't you find it easy to respond to an act of kindness with kindness? The real trick is to respond with kindness to those who lack it. There's an ancient custom in our story that I want you to be aware of. In ancient times, when a new regimen or dynasty came to power, the prevailing practice was to kill everyone in the former king's family in order for the new king to solidify his position. And he killed every living family member known of the previous king. And everybody knew that. And everybody practiced that. But in order for David to really secure his throne, it was necessary for him to hunt down every direct descendant of Saul and kill all of them. So... Imagine listening to this story for the first time. And you are just waiting for that axe to fall like Mehibosheth did. But then you realize that David was not seeking the descendants of Jonathan to secure his throne or to distinguish Saul's bloodline. He was there to show kindness. He was there to prove everyone else wrong. And that it could be done a different way. How often do we wish that we could go back in time and do things differently? How often do we allow ourselves to take hold of a situation 
when full well we need to let God take over the situation. The Bible says these words, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In a world of chaos and violence, acts of kindness tend to stick out. So instead of killing Mehibosheth, he invites him into his family. And David restores his family's land to him. How many kings do you know would do that? He restores him. David restores the servants to work that land and brings him the produce and profits. And so Mehibosheth moves from exiled and crippled to possessing numerous servants. But more importantly, David invites him to dine at his table like one of his children. So now the king's table will cover his crippled feet. So not only was he showing an act of kindness, but he was going to make sure that nobody else was going to go after him too. He sort of hid his crippledness. Why? He didn't have to do that. He already showed him this great generosity. He already showed him this great kindness. But he went above and beyond. How many in our relationship to Christ has Christ go gone above and beyond what you deserved? How often do we thank God for the things that he blesses with every single day? Who here thanks God that the sun rose today? Who thanks God that you're breathing air right now? See, I think this story was intended to not only teach us about kindness, but to recognize the things that are right in front of our face. And to understand that this was something that was learned so long ago, but yet we're having to teach and learn this over and over and over again. I began the message by telling you about a cab driver who found the money in his cab and he complained about wanting more of a reward than was given or offered. I want to tell you about a 10-year-old. His name is Miles Eckert. And the story goes like this. It was a snowy morning in Toledo, Ohio when Miles found a $20 bill in a restaurant parking lot. And being a 10-year-old boy, his immediate thought was of the video game he would buy with his newfound money. But when a soldier in uniform entered the restaurant, Miles changed his plans. He took that $20 and wrote this note. Dear soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's in heaven now. I found this $20 in the parking lot when we got here. We'd like to pay it forward in my family's honor. So it's your lucky day. Thank you for your service. And Miles Eckert was a gold star kid. I don't know if you know the program or not. But this was children of fallen soldiers who would seek out others and, and reward them and, and love on them as they would. So he signs this, Miles Eckert, a gold star kid. You see, Miles' father 
was killed in Iraq. And just five weeks after Miles was born, the lieutenant colonel that received the money and the note passed it along to someone else in need. So, instead of taking that kindness, he passed on that kindness. And then it went further. So he received that and he gave it to someone else in need. But that act of kindness, that one act of kindness started the ball rolling. And over the last two years, that kindness of that $20 has turned into $2 million raised for those Gold Star charities that support the families of those troops. I tell you that story not to make something sound, you know, phenomenal or anything. I tell you that because kindness is so powerful. Kindness is so powerful that it can turn $20 to $2 million. And it was reported that earlier this year, Mile received the Citizens' Version of the Medal of Honor as voted upon by Medal of Honor recipients. Only kindness can do that. In a mean, violent world, only kindness is that powerful. And in order to show such remarkable kindness, you and I must be looking for those opportunities to show kindness. You will only express the kindness of God when you begin looking for those opportunities. I know that it's real easy to get caught up in the busyness of life. We were busy all week. Even doing this, it seemed like the week went by really, really fast. This is all we thought about, which was great. But we can get caught up that way in the busyness of life with our jobs, with a multitude of other, other things. But how is it we're too busy to be kind? How is it we're too busy to take the opportunities to show kindness? The window for kindness opens and it closes, sometimes without notice. So if your idol is your clock or your calendar or the organizational skills you possess, I will tell you this, you will never have enough time to be kind. If your idol is money, kindness will always be too expensive. We wish we could be kind, but it just costs too much. If your idol is your own self-importance, you simply can't get mixed up in the problems of lower class people or those who don't measure up to your standard. You'll never be able to do it. Think about just a normal day in your week. What is it that keeps you from being kind? Don't miss that opportunity. But something else is happening in this story that I want you to point out. I want you to see the relationship between David's actions and God's character. David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, the word kindness is the Hebrew word chest. This is a challenging word to translate, let me tell you. Because it means 
much more than kindness. The word is also the word that the Bible uses to remind us of God's covenant love. Like I said a few moments ago, I told you that Jesus is seldom called the son of Moses or the son of Abraham. Instead, Jesus is called over and over again the son of David. David's kindness is here to tell us about God's rich kindness in at least three ways. Let me discuss those with you. Because David searched as God searched. So as David searched for someone in Saul's family to show incredible kindness, God searches for us to demonstrate his incredible kindness. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? You see, God searches for you and I, just like he searched David, searched for Mahibosheth. David remembers. And so in turn, God remembers. Because God is like David in at least one other way, and, and just as David showed, because of that promise to Jonathan, God showed that kindness because of his promise to King David. And remember when I said that the Hebrew word chest means covenant love. So many of our relationships today are consumer relationships. That means if my needs are met, then I'm out. But God's relationship with his children is described by this word of kindness. God is committed to us. God is committed to his children. He sacrifices for the relationship even when it does not meet his needs. In a world of consumer relationships, we are invited and are brought near to him by the cross of Christ. Kindness is key in any relationship that we have in life. Even our relationship to Christ, there needs to be kindness. How can I be kind to our King? How can I demonstrate the kindness showed like David? We have opportunities. God reveals these opportunities. But how many of us are stepping to those opportunities to fulfill what God has laid out before us? That's what's trying to be translated here. We need to be kind. Not because we're forced to, but because the indwelling spirit within us tells us that that's important and that we need to do that. Amen? Dave. Come and give the benediction this morning. Stand together and sing, I love you, Lord.
today, I'd like to call up Salvador and Rachel and Landon and Lubella Avila. As you know, they've been attending for quite some time, and Sal even was assisting with us um, when we had an incident. You guys all remember. We appreciate his service for that, but they come today seeking membership with a church. Amen. Praise God. What say you? Amen. So they come joining us by their statement of faith and accepting Christ as their personal Savior. Uh, all in favor, aye. aye. Not in favor, walk out the doors. Okay, good. <laughs> Welcome to our family. So before we leave, extend the right hand of fellowship to them. Let them know that we're happy that they're here with us. We look forward to serving with them and alongside them. Amen. All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great love. We thank you so much for your kindness to us, even though we don't deserve it, Lord. But time after time after time, you continue to keep your covenant with us. So, Lord, we praise you this morning for that. We thank you for the opportunities that you lay before us. And Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to them so that we could follow through as Christ would. Lord, we never understand the fullness of your grace. But Lord, as we walk through this life, as we continue in our kingdom life, you are constantly opening our eyes to this. And Lord, I'm excited. I'm excited for what you have in store for us. I'm excited what you have in store for this church. And in all things that we do, Lord, let it be an honor to you because you deserve that glory. Thank you so much for our time together this morning. Uh, bless the food that we will now partake in the family day. Keep us safe. And Lord, we just love you and we love what you do. And it is in your name this morning and all of God's people said... Amen. Have a great new Lord. Come and greet the Avila family. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.